I too want to bring you greetings in the name of Jesus. After two and a half years, I'm sure there are folks here that hardly know who we are. But some of you do remember us from earlier visits. Of course, uh, you do know that we were here just a few weeks ago, too. We're glad that the border has opened and that we can come and share with Eldon and his family and with the congregation here. May the Lord bless you and your work. May you be mindful that there is a light, a witness that goes forth from your lives. And you want to be good and positive in this community. That the light of the glorious gospel would shine forth in your homes, in your personal lives, your families, your businesses, that Jesus would be honored. You may open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Recently I started a well, I didn't, I didn't intend it to be a series of messages, but I, I found a text in Hebrews 10, and then when I studied that message, I discovered there's another theme that's in this chapter, and so I preached a second message from Hebrews 10, and that went up to, when I was preparing that one, I discovered there was another theme, and I used Hebrews 10 again, and I don't suppose we've exhausted it because the Word of God is like that. It's, it's just such a deep uh, treasure house of truth and and God's message from heaven that you can keep studying and studying and, and find wonderful truths to bless your life and to share with others, which what preachers are called to do, but we're all called to share the message with those we meet day by day in our, in our lives and in, in our work. So stay close to the Word because it will help you to have something to share with, with people around you. We're going to be looking at the marks of a true heart. We find this true heart mentioned in verse uh, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The true heart. We're going to pick this up a little more in detail later, but I want to just pause a few moments to talk about the true heart. The true heart, we we can um, discuss and maybe begin to understand a little about it, a little bit about a true heart when we think, even in the natural sense of the word, in the natural, apart from the spiritual meanings, although it can hardly be separated, but I'm not sure if you've ever met people like this, maybe parents in the home, you, know, you have a child that was born that's just good. They're obedient, they're loving, they're kind, they're generous. Um, you know, when there's just, there's this child that just seems so good from the inside out. When there's candy or there's a piece of, piece of something to share, uh, this one will take the smaller piece. You know, they just have this good heart about them. Trusting and honest and uh, transparent and obedient. I mentioned that already. 
loyal, kind, kind-hearted, and maybe so conscientious. They just have a good heart, we call it, a good-hearted person. But most of us are also quite aware of the opposite. Maybe we sense it in our own lives. You know, maybe as a young person, we, we kind of, um, we, we cringed because of what our parents were asking of us. And we, we didn't like the rules of the school or the rules of the church. And, and we have this resistance to the good things that God wants of us. And uh, that's, how is it, how, you know, not, not most of us are born with that good-heartedness that we were just really good, obedient children. Uh, I'm sure there were many times that disappointed my parents, <laughs> probably embarrassed them sometimes, because I wasn't a good-hearted person. Well, how do, we get, how do we get a good heart? How do we have this true heart? And probably before we read much further, or discuss much further, I think we should back up and just pick out these verses that help us to understand how we can have a good heart. I think that's the introduction we need to this. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. But how do we get a true heart? <clears throat> this right and good and, and loyal and, and um, a deep within goodness. It's not of ourselves that we get this kind of thing. If you look at verses... 15 and on, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Well, it's because the Lord can make that to happen. And we could have this within us that we want to be, what did that song writer say? Lord, I, I guess it was a, a, probably a Negro spiritual. Lord, I want to be a Christian. In my heart. That's what I was thinking of. In my heart. Deep down inside, that's what I want to be. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want my life to show Jesus. Do you have that true heart? Is that what motivates you? Is that what kindles the fire? When you wake up in the morning to say, I want to serve the Lord today. I want to be a witness for Jesus. Are you true hearted? I thought maybe we should drop down to the last verse of this, of this chapter yet before we move into looking at the marks of the true heart. I, also, I would also like to read the, the entire chapter, uh, well, beginning where I left off. But first of all, I'd like to read verse 39, 38 and 39. The just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We need to have this true heart 
that's not going to turn back. I have decided to follow Jesus. If no one joins me, still I will follow. Because that's the kind of commitment that will save our soul. We can't just coast along with the church. We can't just coast along with the family or parents or grandparents. If we want to save our soul, we must have a true heart. We really, really need that. I was reading a story not so long ago about the, that couple in uh, Ukraine who were searching for a church. I'm not sure how many years they searched. They thought they found a church that they liked and they were enjoying some fellowship there. And, but then it just something feel right. It seemed like you know they were explained scriptures away rather than, than honestly accept what the Bible was saying and try to put it into practice. They would excuse things. They said, well, that's not meant for our time or it doesn't apply to our to our culture, those kinds of things. But then, I suppose, if, the, if I have the story right and I'm remembering the details correctly, they met uh, Brother Hirsch and his family, and they said, you know what? These Christians are the real thing. <laughs> they recognized that here were people who had true hearts that really wanted to serve the Lord Jesus. And uh, they, they did become part of that group or the church that was planted in that community. Number one, the marks of the true heart. Let's read these verses now. Verse 22 and on. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and a fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries." He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment shall ye, or suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a greater, a better, and an everlasting substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. 
But we are not of them which draw back or who draw back onto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. The true heart draws near, verse 22, which is, I suppose, our text verse. Let us draw near with a true heart. The true heart draws near. I'd like to qualify this. The true heart draws near for the right reasons. And I think our brother's devotional this morning pointed that out. That woman wanted to draw near to Jesus. She knew she had been sinful, but she wanted to be close to Jesus. And she she prepared herself and knelt at his feet, weeping, seeking the presence and person of Jesus. And I think she went there for the right, right reasons. And didn't Jesus tell her, go in peace? Go in peace. I think there are sometimes reasons that are not so honorable. A young person may respond to the gospel because his parents expect him to. Brethren and sisters, that's not good enough. That will not carry you through. It doesn't, it doesn't have enough of strength to make you what you ought to be in Christ. I know a young man, it seems like the reason he joined a conservative Mennonite church was because he had met a young woman who was a member of that church, and, and he did. That's who he married. But where are they today? They're not in the church. Apparently his, maybe, maybe it may have seemed like he was coming for the right reasons, but somehow it's obvious that it wasn't deep enough. Something wasn't deep enough. And, and maybe it could have worked out if at some point in time he would have gotten closer to Christ. But he didn't. The sad fact is that he didn't. And so instead of coming to the girl's church, he's taking her away from the Lord. That's sad. Didn't, apparently wasn't, he didn't come for the right reason. The true heart draws near. One steady pool. One real true desire. I talked to a man in Guatemala who was a member of the church that we were serving in for a few years. He's gone now to his reward. But we were talking about his family and and uh, those in his community there that were part of the church there in the local village. But he said, most of them are just oyentes. They're just hearers. I said, well, why is that? Well, he said, one of the reasons they don't like to be part of the church is just come and hear the message rather than become members of the church and doers. Uh, they like to be hearers because then the tithe is not required of them. See, once you're a member, then you're obligated to bring a tithe. And you're obligated to do their fast days and all the things that the church requires. If you're a member, then you have to do those things. And so many of them, their churches get well-filled. That one particularly gets well-filled. But it's mostly hearers. So they have some reserve. They want to hear the gospel, but they have it with reserve. Well, that's not a true heart. The true heart draws near. And this matter of giving, 
when, when God has our heart, then we'll give everything he asks of us. And we hardly know in our Western cultures what that means. But the book of Acts, and it's referred to in some of the Gospels, I'm sorry, some of the epistles, there were believers who would take out loans. They went beyond their means to provide for the saints in Jerusalem. That means they did without some things. They, they probably took out a loan that they took them years to pay back in order to, in order to help their brethren back in Jerusalem. How many of us have done that? Have you taken out a loan to put it in the, in the offering that's for brotherhood assistance to help your brother? Have, have any of us ever done such a thing? Kind of got off the track, didn't I? But I'm talking about what the true heart does. The true heart says yes to God. And, and we, we just... We have this definite and steady pull toward God. That's the reason we come to him, because we love him. We know that he first loved us, but then we respond by drawing near for the right reasons, because we truly want to know his will. We don't say it's better not to know so that I don't need to feel an obligation. (laughs) I remember years ago, I was traveling home from Guatemala. I was there as a young man in the missionary work, too. And I was traveling home beside, beside a Jew, and he asked what I was doing. He kind of laughed at me. He, he said, well, it, it's better off, he said, it's better off to leave those people in their cultures and do what they're doing. They're better off without what you're trying to bring to them. He said, they're better off not knowing than for you to go there and make them feel guilty about their sins and that kind of thing. Just leave them, their culture and their, their belief system will take care of them. You don't have to go and make them feel bad. In other words, their innocence is bliss. They'll be perfectly fine. And sometimes we think that if we don't know, then we're, then we're not obligated to, to do the right thing. Well, that's, that's, that's a lie of the devil. We should want to know. We should draw near to God so that we can better understand his will for our lives so that we can obey him and so that we can reach heaven to be with that holy God throughout eternity. The true heart wants that. The true heart has no reserves and says, well, I have my, this is as far as I will go. That's not the true heart. The true heart draws near because of a love for God. In the second place, the true heart acts out of simple, trusting faith. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. This is not just an experiment. We don't say, well, I'm going to try to be a Christian, see how it works out. It probably won't work out if we, if we approach it that way. We must, we must just hand over everything in full assurance of faith. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I need his help to live a, a, a holy life. I need to have my sins forgiven, but more than that, I need the power to live in victory over sin. And I, there are promises of God. They're here. And, and I, by faith, must lay hold upon that. I'm looking to Jesus to help me to be the kind of Christian I want to be. I can't do it on my own. I can't save myself. I can't be a good person. I've tried it so many times, but I need God. And I'm simple. Full, um, uh, believing the right thing, 
choosing the right thing, being convinced that this is what I need. That's what makes convictions, when we believe it so much so that we, we do it. Simple, trusting faith. Did you ever think about it? Developing convictions is a good thing. It means that you're serious about the will of God. You're serious about serving Him. And we should not laugh at people who have strong convictions. We should say, well, I wonder what they could teach me. That's how we should look at it. We tend to look down on those with strong convictions. We think they're too sensitive. Are we sensitive enough? Does the will of God move us? Brother stepped on my toes this morning. Do I conscientiously obey the speed limit? (laughs) What does the true heart say about that? Number three, the true heart has a working conscience. That's in verse 22 also. Hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. How do, you, how do you purge your conscience? I would like for you to think about these things. I was going to ask you to maybe help me as we move through this passage, look for some of the things that are marks of the true heart. And maybe you can do that because we're going to move down over some of, more of these verses. But how do we, how does the true heart How is it that the true heart has a working conscience and how do we purge our conscience? So when we say yes to Jesus, we allow the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our life, do we just confess our sins in a general way and say, I'm a sinner and now my sins are all taken care of? Perhaps there is a sense in which that works in that way. But perhaps I would like to qualify it a bit. Especially if it has hurt other people and other people know about things. We call that restitution. And the Bible is very clear. Even Zacchaeus said, I need to, I will restore fourfold. So his repentance, he showed the the, uh, the sincerity of his repentance by his desire to make restitution. Well, I would like to say that there are some people who struggle with things in their Christian life, and the reason they don't get help is because they haven't purged their conscience sufficiently. They haven't opened up their lives. I'm not sure how many of you read that little article written some years ago, I think. I think it might have showed up in the... Um, can't say the name of the, of the little, little booklet that's put together, a compilation of things. But it talks about the files, the file system, and our conscience. Our conscience is like files. And um, we have the ability, it seems as though we have the ability to close files and say, well, that's closed. That's off limits now. We want to just forget about it. 
But there are secret sins that I've heard and brethren and sisters feel. The reason we don't have victory is because we haven't purged our conscience of them. In other words, we haven't confessed them to the right people. I'm not saying you should confess them to some counselor, but I think there's a right way to get rid of and to open. There should be no page in your life that's off limits. And brothers and sisters, the best way to deal with this, if someone comes to you and says, well, what about this back in your life? You know the best answer? I've taken care of it. That page has been opened. It's been examined. I've I've, I've done what's necessary, um, and, and the church has actually dealt with it in a public manner. In some cases, that's necessary. It's all been taken care of. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not just a page where we don't go to anymore. It's been taken care of. It's been purged uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the true heart. And that's how we, if we have a conscience that's now, uh, you know, we can just about do anything and still sleep at night. That's not good for us. That's a sign of a dull conscience and a callous conscience. The way to have a working conscience is to purge ourselves, to deal with those things. We open that, we open that page and we let God and his word, and even if there's a consequence that goes with it, that's, that's, that's fine. We, we accept that because that's a way to purge our conscience. The true heart allows his conscience to be purged, the blood applied. We must allow the blood to be applied. And sometimes what I'm suggesting is sometimes we need some help to figure out exactly how that matter of our past should be taken care of. We must allow it to be examined. The true heart, in the fourth place, has a body that's been cleaned up. It says in verse 22 that our bodies are washed with pure water. And brethren and sisters, this is not talking about taking a shower or taking a bath. Just as, just as the, the, the idea is a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. That's all in the spiritual world. It's in the spiritual uh, dimensions of, of deeds and sins that we have done. So it is that our bodies here is talking about Things that have spiritual uh, significance. A body that has been cleaned up. A body that no longer uh, is, is giving in to sin. And probably one of the more outstanding things about this body, if you read a few pages further, you get to the book of James, our tongue. This member of our body needs to be cleaned up. No more bad words. No more anger and bitterness should come out of our mouth. But even if it's true that our body, the way we present our bodies, uh, a living sacrifice that shows the Lord Jesus Christ, this person belongs to Jesus. Look at the way he dresses. Look at the way he or she combs her hair. Look at the things, the, the way they present their, their business or their homes or their, their properties or whatever it is. Their bodies have been washed with the pure water of the Word of God. And that's a big assignment that we have. That our lives would say, Jesus, Jesus. That person belongs to Jesus. Our bodies washed with pure water. Everything that relates to the natural life and living, 
a lifestyle that has been touched, cleaned up by Jesus. And maybe another way to say this is that the the better people get to know you, the more they're impressed that you are a child of God. Not because they start seeing some inconsistencies. Oh, oh, so that's the way they are. If they can get away with it, they will. That should not be said of Christians. In the fifth place, the true heart professes. Let us hold fast the profession, verse 23. I am a Christian. We like to tell young believers when they make a commitment to the Lord, tomorrow, maybe even tonight yet, go home, go home and call your grandmother and say, I'm a Christian. I gave my heart to the Lord this evening. It's good to hear your own voice profess, I am a Christian. I have given my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to hear ourselves say that because that's what, if we're true-hearted, that's now our new passion. That's why we're here. We're here because we're a child of God. And that is now my heart, my heart's desire. We profess. The heart, the true heart professes it. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be ashamed of. And I suppose all of us must confess there are times we have, we have been a little embarrassed. But we should not be. If people pick you out as a Christian, wonderful. <laughs> that, is a, that is a compliment. We want to be able to identify. We should not be ashamed of a profession. Must go deeper than that. It must not stop with a profession, but it certainly should include it. Number six, the true heart holds fast. Verse 23, let us hold fast. This would probably relate to what I mentioned in verse in number two about having a faith, but a faith that grasps hold of Jesus Christ and hangs on. And probably the best thing I can share uh, it, that comes to my mind, it may not be the only illustration of it, but if you were if you were in a current that was taking to over a waterfalls and somehow there was something that you could grasp a hold of that you would not uh, go over the, the falls, you would grab a hold and you would hold on. I think I read a story just re- recently, maybe this happened not so long ago, maybe in one of the floods in the east earlier this year, that a man got a hold of something and he held on so tightly that he crushed his ribs. hanging on for dear life, and he was saved. The true heart holds fast to Jesus. We must have that firm commitment. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And number seven, the true heart does not waver. This is very closely related to that. Without wavering. A faith that doesn't waver. Do you know any Christians like that? Has there been anybody in your life that has been a blessing and inspiration to you? I I would like to think that we all have people like that. that, that, that I can do that. I can look at people who always pushed, nudged me in the right direction. 
We also know some of those who tempted us the wrong way. Well, what kind of person are you going to be? Will you always push people in the right direction? You're not wavering. You're not one bit ashamed to say, this I will not do. This we cannot do. Maybe it's a group of young people. We're not going to do that. I'm not sure how many of you read the Pathway publications, but there was an an article in there recently about a young man. The the Amish crew was going in town at a distance because of drivers and that kind of thing. I guess you know their lifestyle. And so they would go there a couple days at a time. And this young man went along. They stayed overnight or two. And so they had to take motel accommodations for the night. And so what did they, what happened that first night? Well, they got in there about 10 o'clock. Somebody turned the television on. And he felt very uncomfortable. I think he turned his face away. He went to bed and turned his face away. But, you know, he could hear this in the background. And now as an older man, he wishes that he had just, he wishes he said, we're not going to do it. Because he's pretty sure there were some other boys there who were not comfortable with it. Someone was bad enough, was not true-hearted enough. They turned it on. But there probably, in that, in that group of 10 or 12 boys, there probably were a few more who didn't want to watch it. And we should not waver. The true heart does not waver. And we can be a kind of positive influence that will help others. The true heart doesn't waver. Number eight, the true heart seeks people who will challenge and help him. Verses 24 and 25. Not forsaking, oh, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I especially wanted uh, verse 24. The true heart seeks people who will challenge and help him. I already mentioned this. People who will push you in the right direction. And the true heart pushes people in the right direction. That's what we do. We encourage people in the good things of God and the good things of the Lord. And we, we're supportive and loyal to the standards of the church and to the group that we are a part of. We, we, we love to do that. That's our heart's desire. Number nine, the true heart shows up at worship. This is verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You can see how these two points go together. But the true heart shows up at worship, and the true heart, I think it begins, what do you reach for first thing in the morning? The Bible? I hope so. Or is there something else? I read that for some people, the first thing they pick up in the morning is their device. Think about it. The true heart is a heart of worship. God should be first. It starts out with reaching for the Bible personally. In the home, we don't neglect family worship. If we want our children to be godly people, parents, don't neglect family worship. Set the arrows 
notch that arrow in the right direction. There are some very basic things that we must do as parents to get our children's hearts set toward God. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Back in the former congregation where we were, there was a brother. If there was something to do, track distribution, street meetings, someone to fill in for Sunday school, or someone to be at church service, they were always there. Always. Those, that person, that brother, that family, you could count on. They were there. And on a short notice, oh, sure. Go, I'll fill in. Always there. The true heart. This, this is where we want to be. When, this, when there's something happening here, if you have a true heart, you'll want to be here. You'll support it. You'll give your heart and loyalty to the cause. Number 10, the true heart is done with sin. Verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. That's in the negative. But the true heart has done with sin. And that's why our brother's devotional meditation was such a challenge to me. Am I willing, am I willing to unroot all those, even we call them little things? Am I done with it? If we sin willfully, these aren't my words, brethren and sisters. This is strong language that God himself has taken the time, effort to share with us. God doesn't want his children to sin willfully. If we knew, if we know better, what does the Bible say? He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's not Lloyd Mast. That's the word of God. We have a big room for improvement, I think, in this area. Number 11, the true heart does not despise anything godly, nor the work of the Spirit. Verses 28 and 29. How much sore punishment shall ye think? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant whereby he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace? Oh, I didn't read verse 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. The true heart does not despise anything godly. The true heart does not despise the work of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, those who despised the the law of Moses were supposed to be stoned. I'm not sure how often it happened. Probably not often enough, for they may have been a more godly people. That would be my thought. But of how much sore punishment is it to take our, our Christian lives casually? To tread underfoot the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ? To say no to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? The true heart does not despise anything godly. We do not laugh at those I mentioned before with stronger convictions than we we should appreciate that and say, 
What can they teach me? We may say, well, but those people, that's just all on the outside. You know why we say that? Maybe we ought to look at the reason for the conviction. Maybe it's because we're not quite where we ought to be. And so the way we turn off that little bit of prompting is we, well, we say, well, it's just hypocrisy anyway. Well, God wants his people to be holy. God wants his people to be godly and righteous. He wants us to be the salt of the earth. It's not, there's nothing wrong with being... In Hebrews 11 it says, they declare plainly that they are the children of God. No pun intended, right? Plain people are plain. If they're plain for the right reasons, then it brings glory to God. Does it make any sense to say we're worldly for the glory of God? I can be a little more worldly to the glory of God. Does that make any sense? The true heart does not despise anything godly. The true heart does not despise the work and the promptings of the Holy Spirit, however they may come. And this reminds me of a, a man that was in our family acquaintance, a tow truck driver. You know, one time I used an expression, I won't even use it here, but he said, do you know where that comes from? And I had to admit that I didn't. He said, well, that's, that's something that shouldn't come from the mouth of a Christian. Because he was an ungodly almost an ungodly man, a tow truck driver that did not profess Christianity, should I have said, well, it's just him talking. No, we accept whatever God brings to us by whatever means it comes. We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, I needed that. We don't despise anything that comes, that God allows to come into our lives to make us better Christians. Number 12, the true heart trembles to think of doing anything outside the will of the living God. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I know that the presence of God seems abstract because he's not right here. But even when Jesus was here, our brother read that passage. When Jesus, the Son of God, was here doing mighty acts and he could read people's minds and, and he convinced them and convicted them of their sins, he spoke with authority, not as the scribes and Pharisees. They still said, no. Get away with that man. Let's crucify him. We don't like what he says. Let's get rid of him. <laughs> the true heart understands that God is real. Our conscience, the, 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 the Old Testament prophet says that the voice of the Holy Spirit is like a, a voice at our ear on our shoulder saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Our conscience is the faculty that the Holy Spirit uses. And you've argued with the Holy Spirit, haven't you, in your conscience? I'm sure you have. I have. That is God. That's God's voice.
little child that's in the kitchen, reaching into the kitchen, into the cookie jar, looking around. It's afraid mother might come. That's the kind of knowledge of God we ought to have. Be assured he's right there. What's that children's song? He sees all we do. He hears all we say. My Lord is listening all the time, time, time. Brothers and sisters, I think if we got a consciousness of God's presence, it would change us. It would would improve us a bit. One time I challenged a young man. I said, well, would you wear a body camera? He didn't like that. I said, well, God's recording everything. It's all on record. The book of life, it's all there. Not only our actions, what we think. The thoughts are on record, brethren and sisters. When we have this, when we would have this awareness of God's presence, the true heart accepts that. Trembles to think of doing anything outside the will of the living God. And if this was less abstract to us, it would help us. Number 13, the true heart accepts being made fun of and identifies with those who are so used. Did you notice that in verse 32? But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partially while ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while ye became companions of them that were so used. The true heart accepts being made fun of and identifies with those who are so used. Really cool. To be part of a Bible-believing, true gospel church, you'll probably get some ridicule. Those people, they take the Bible that seriously. Yes. So count me with them. I want to be part of them. The, Bible, the, the true heart accepts that kind of identity. Number 14, the true heart has a confidence about choosing and doing the right things. Verse 35, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Brethren and sisters, it's worth it all. The ridicule that we talked about, the mockery, the identification that we are one of God's children, um, the way we do things, the way we, the way we speak, uh, uh, our, our life and our lifestyle and our practices, what our church rules are, all of those things. We have this confidence. We do it with confidence because there is a great recompense and reward that we are serving the Lord. We love the Lord. We are sincere about um, living a life free from sin. Verse number 15, the true heart does not draw back. We are not of them which draw back. Verse 39, the true heart does not draw back. We say, yes, I embrace it. This is mine. But the last one that's so encouraging is the true heart will receive the promise. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Verse 36, 
That's where it is. Having done the will of God, you might receive the promise. The true heart will receive the promise of life eternal. We'll enjoy the holiness of heaven because we've been made a saint here on earth. May the Lord bless.